0: Welcome back to Music People. I'm your host, Jonathan Milton, and my guest today is Ken Fleming, musician extraordinaire and founder of the North Texas Irish Festival, the Southwest Celtic Music Association, the Traditional Irish Music Education Society, the O'Flaherty Irish Music Retreat, the O'Flaherty Irish Music Youth Camp, and so many more things. Ken also hosted the Celtic Crossroads radio show in Dallas in the early 80s, and he was a member of Tinker's Dam a popular traditional Irish band in the Dallas-Fort Worth area during that time, you can still find him out playing with Jigsaw and with the Lone Star Kaylee Band. Ken has organized countless sessions, Kaylee's, concerts, and musical theater productions over the years. He helped to create the North Texas School of Irish Music. And in 2011, he was recognized by Coltus Kiltori Aaron for his commitment to the promotion and preservation of traditional Irish culture. I think it's fair to say that the vibrant trad music scene in Dallas is what it is today because of Ken, his enthusiasm, his tireless effort, and his love for the music, not to mention his excellent musicianship. There are so many young players coming up that are excited about the music and learning it from the greatest musicians out there, thanks to the opportunities afforded them by Ken's efforts. And I owe him an immense debt of gratitude myself for all the ways he's helped me He's given me so much encouragement along the way. And here's the thing. He's done the same for countless people. He's all about building community and helping people achieve their potential. He's such an inspiring guy, and I just can't say enough good things about him. Dear listeners, please welcome Ken Fleming. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, So I would love to know what got you into music. Ooh.
1: I go back... Goes back a long, long time. Um, I think the earliest I can remember playing music was probably around seven years old. Um, my dad had a a banjo, uke. Uh, I still have it. In fact, it's somewhere nearby. But oh, right there it's behind. Right me. behind me yeah. on the wall. Yeah, that was my first instrument. It's a beauty. Yeah, yeah. I, I it made a lot of noise. Not particularly good noise either. Um, <laughs> and then my dad brought back a guitar from Mexico. We lived in El Paso at the time, and from Juarez, and um, I remember starting to bang out some chords at that time, so I was probably nine years old. That's when I think I really took music seriously. Yeah. yeah. And I did what most kids do. I, I, You know, I I went to the band route for a while. And What
0: did you think about that?
1: I uh, didn't like it. <laughs> uh, I played clarinet, and I never could get a real good sound out of it, so I, I gave it up uh, as I get later in my junior high years and then started getting into uh, music more seriously in terms of, like, rock. Yeah. And um, played rock for a long, long time before I started going back in time and getting into more roots-type music.
0: So, did you start playing in bands and things like that when you were yeah, in high really, school? really?
1: Um, I was a, a professional musician probably at the age of fifteen. I was uh, playing in a, a band in Germany. I was my, my father was military, so I I was stationed. He was stationed over there, and there was a a, a band called um, the Unaccounted For. I know it sounds kind of funny, but it was a, a rock band that had some notoriety in in Germany. Uh, in fact, we actually won the the Battle of the Bands of Europe, um, so it was a pretty serious thing. But we played a lot of officers' clubs, uh, so we made good money. I, I was a pretty wealthy young kid uh, compared to my my other fellow students. Yeah. Um, but it was a, a fun time. I really enjoyed that. So
0: you started as a working musician pretty early on. Like I did in high school.
1: I did. Not to make a living. I mean, it wasn't enough money to do that, but, but early yeah. in I could afford things that most kids couldn't because I had that extra cash.
0: I never knew that about you. Yeah, That's pretty yeah. Cool. I
1: was an old rocker.
0: So what happened after you got back to the States? Did you keep that going? Yeah,
1: or? I did for a while. I mean, it was kind of a sad story. We moved um, to the San Francisco Bay Area with the hopes of making it big. Um, one of the things that we were supposed to have gotten out of that deal of being the Battle of the Band winner uh, was a recording contract, but many of the members of the band had to go back to the states early. So we reconnected when we got back in um, in San Francisco, and we basically starved. I think there were eighteen hundred you know <laughs> bands playing in the area. Stiffer competition. Yeah, over there we could <laughs> had, we could pick our gigs. And we got to San Francisco, and much much better quality music coming out of those bands who'd been there. And so we moved from there to Alabama and tried to make it there. I have no idea why Alabama, but we went to Alabama and uh, starved there and uh, eventually I gave up trying to be a professional musician.
0: Because you went to Alabama probably. Not exactly, <laughs> but
1: it I think we had one of our family members uh lived there, not mine but our drummers. Yeah. So it was just a good place to go, to go to to kind of prepare for what we have thought a, would be. Have a,
0: like a central base and, yeah. and work towards the next thing. Yeah.
1: So we played a lot of gigs where Played a few of them where we had the lead act was a comedian. I mean, it was those kind of gigs. Oh, that's cool. Awful, awful gigs, yeah. night nightclub gigs, <laughs> and uh, it just—we never made any money most of the time. We spent our money on travel and hotel rooms and food, and it just never got anywhere.
0: Yeah. Well, what did you do after that?
1: Went back to uh, Colorado Springs, which was what I consider my home, even though we're a military family. My my parents, and my dad retired there, and so we. Uh, um, from there, I, I guess I just tried to make it music, but I got away from rock and roll and got in more into folk music. Um, and it was more of uh, finger-picking style music. And I did that for a number of years, um, professionally and all just for fun. I mean, everything from ragtime guitar to Doc Watson to Leo Kotke, I mean, any variety. But I also, uh, this was kind of now in probably the 70s, um, early 70s, I was starting to play Irish music a little bit, too, like finger-picking-style Irish yeah. music, you know, whether it's Planksties or oh. hornpipes and things like that. But it wasn't as I traditionally play it now, but it was at least a starting point. I so really you were, enjoyed it.
0: you were playing the tunes finger-style and the guitar? Yeah,
1: yeah. And it was some pretty complicated pieces. I mean, some of the finger-picking guitarists back then were really yeah. extraordinarily uh, creative. And
0: I, I remember uh, the first time I heard that Leo Kotke album, six- and 12-string guitar, it mm-hmm. blew me away.
1: yeah. Yeah, he was hot back then, and yeah. so everybody tried to do what he did. Yeah, I could never do what he did, uh, <laughs> but I tried. But it was a good time for for my my musical interests had switched so dramatically from rock and roll to now more folk music, and and then I start going back a little back into more roots music. You know, you know, just getting into Delta blues on the guitar and yeah. folk blues and. Um, dabbled in old-timey and bluegrass. I mean, I was just kind of searching in some ways, trying to find some kind of acoustic music that uh, fit me well. Uh, So it was kind of an exploration period in the the 70s. Yeah.
0: Well, what drew you to the folk music and and eventually to Irish traditional music?
1: Well, I just thought folk music was so authentic in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of great singing songs, songwriting was done. Um, I love acoustic music. It's something that uh, you can do by yourself. You can do with others. Um, being part of a rock band, you need everybody and, um, and that's fine. But at the same time, you spend most of your time by yourself playing music. And I, I, enjoyed playing my music and playing it for others. And so I think it was more of a longing for, um, that kind of authentic, you know, kind of presentation of, of something, an idea, a, a mood or whatever,
0: yeah. uh, that I like so much. And I could, could do that myself and enjoy it. Could you say who some of your biggest musical influences are? Now or back then when you started getting into that, all those things?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Joni Mitchell, I mean, comes to mind. I mean, she was an amazing guitarist and singer and songwriter. And, I mean, she was, not that I tried to play what she played, but it was somebody who, when I first started hearing her, I was going, gosh, that's just nice stuff, you know, or Cat Stevens or, Mm -hmm. you know, just some really what I thought was enjoyable acoustic music. And that kind of led me and, uh, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, all all those kind of influenced me saying, I really want to hang up the electric guitar and bring out an acoustic guitar. And, um, so, yeah, I would say that they had influences, but it was really more the finger-picking style kinds of guitarists, you know. And, again, Doc Watson comes to mind, and but then Mississippi John Hurt. I mean, they have a lot of different uh, people that kind of influenced my thinking.
0: So you got into Irish music around... The mid-70s. Early, mid-70s? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, that was, when I again, I was playing finger-picking style guitar, so it's not like picked up a banjo or a accordion yeah. or something. But that was my first introduction. I had a friend of mine who was a teacher, and every summer he would go over and he would basically do a bike tour every summer. Mm-hmm. And he would always come back uh, with new cassette tapes of, of great Irish bands, and we used to listen to them, and I just fell in love. I mean, I really had a, such a great time with that. I didn't really start pointing myself in that direction yet. I was still playing just folk music in general. And it was when I came to Dallas, it was in the late 70s or actually, yeah, around 79 or 80. Um, I started playing at a place called Genevines, which is no longer there, but it was a kind of a bistro type place. And I would play acoustic music and i do ragtime, but I'd also do folk blues and then I'd also do Irish um, but and that's, that's when, my, when I first got to Dallas. That was kind of what I was doing, just trying to play a variety of different acoustic music. And then I went to Winfield Folk Festival. And uh, I guess it's the Walnut Valley Festival. Um, and I, I, I remember going on to the, the camp, and there was just a dust storm going on and i was thinking what what is going on here and i got closer and there was a band called the up on stage Ooh. and people were dancing so hard in the ground it was bringing up <laughs> dust and it was just an amazing sight but i understood why because they they took that festival by storm i mean it was just literally a storm the
0: danan yeah
1: the yeah, was just amazing and i was in dallas i was fooling around with getting a bluegrass band together yeah. um just loved bluegrass too but After hearing Dedannon I came back and turned my five-string over and bought a four-string. and And banjo? Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Pickett of of Dedannon just really inspired me, and um, I got really excited about Irish music playing it that way.
0: So that was a big turning point for you, probably. Were there many people playing here at that time?
1: No, there wasn't. I mean, there were a few bands that were playing kind of the Irish pub singing bands, Yeah. uh, the Irish Texans, the Irish Rogues.
0: But not the traditional tunes. Not the traditional,
1: yeah well here's kind of an interesting thing i mean so i i came back and uh, tried to form an irish band and i went to a band called um, new dallas string band which my wife peggy was a, a member of and they played some irish i mean it was something that they did as part of their old timey um, music um, and i went and talked to the lead fiddler which was ernie taft and you know tried to get him see if i can get him but he didn't want to come by himself he wanted to bring everybody else and so people like Russ Alvey and, and Albert Alfonso and Peggy there, they were all part of the new Dallas string band. And mm. so Ernie said, you know, I, I can't do it by myself. They all play Irish. Let's form a band. So we got together and formed Tinker's dam. But we, in our first performance, um, we, we started realizing there are other people that not only like it, but also play it. Some people over in Fort Worth and other places. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it became clear that we weren't the only ones playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really didn't know each other. I mean, they were kind of off in their own areas. And, uh, so we started reaching out and developing a network of the musicians at that time, but there were not many players. In fact, we were all kind of self-taught and it showed, I mean, it's just it's so hard to learn this music just in a vacuum. You yeah, have to have some for help. Sure.
0: Um, yeah. Well, you've been instrumental in building the scene here and, um, and also I've noticed that you're really good at organizing people and resources, and you've kind of taken your passion for music and combined it with that skill that you have or that propensity that you have and started this whole scene and this the O'Flaherty Irish Music Retreat. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about that? Like what what gave you the idea and, and how you took it from idea to a reality? Sure.
1: Well, I had the good fortune to... Um be with people who had kind of shared passions back in the very beginning in the early eighties. And um, there were um, people like Peggy Turner and Jim Brunke over in Fort Worth and a few others that were instrumental in us beginning the Southwest Celtic Music Association, <clears throat> which is the organizer of the North Texas Irish Festival. So we kind of founded those two things which kinda of set things in motion. But one of the missions of, of SCMA was, you know, the educational component, I mean, in terms of helping people learned uh, Irish music or Celtic music. And after doing the festival for a number of years as director, I stepped down because I wanted to start a family. But one of the things I wanted to do was still continue some of that mission. <clears throat> and my interest had really honed in on Irish music alone, traditional Irish music. So doing Scottish or Welsh or whatever just wasn't as appealing to me. So I kind of broke away from that to begin uh, more of a, an organization that was devoted towards traditional Irish music. So we formed the Traditional Irish Music Education Society. But before we did that, we did this one thing. We, we tried to do it for one year just to kind of see how it would work out. So in uh, 2004, uh, we did the first O'Flaherty Irish Music Retreat here in Richardson, not expecting it to be too successful, and it turned out to be successful. Um, and from that, we decided to you know, move it to Hoblet Cell, Camp Hoblet Cell in Midlothian, and uh, it's been growing ever since. So it was really more of a, you know, coming out of the Sema, continuing a mission that I think was important. I mean, to <clears throat> build an Irish music community, you have to really kind of grow, grow the players. Mm. And whether they're young or old, the great thing about Irish music, you can come at any age and be able to enjoy it and play it. But as I mentioned to you before, trying to learn by yourself is difficult. So we, we felt thought this, this would be a way in which people could learn from people who know how to play. Um, and it's a tradition that happens in Ireland, obviously, all the time. I mean, you have great players who spend time and invest themselves into other players to help them learn. We didn't have that in this area. In fact, we really haven't had this in this region. Yeah, uh, we're it, in it, Texas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there's great camps all over the country. And... <clears throat> but we never really had that here. So that was the uh, the reason for it, was to de- really devote some time and energy into the educational side of Irish music.
0: Okay. So you've been going for about 15 years now, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What motivates you to keep doing it?
1: <clears throat> have you seen these players? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have. I mean, it's so exciting. Yeah. I, mean, I I mean, I, One of the things I hope happens is that I'll, in my old age which is still a long ways away, mind you, right? But in my old age, I'm going to be near a pub because I already know that the music's here. I mean, I see these young players that are playing, wonderful, wonderful abilities, and even the older players. I mean, there's been this uh, uh, kind of a growth in the music because of the learning, which is part of it. Mm -hmm. But there's this wonderful social side of Irish music that just gets people together and brings them together and they have this shared passion that they enjoy it with each other. And to me, that is just the the best thing that came out of this was you have this community of players and it's become a pretty great um, tight knit community. And it's just not in Dallas. I mean, it's all over the state. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And, And I can't claim responsibility for that, but I can say that, you know, there's this momentum that everybody seems to be having right now. And that's just wonderful. And people from outside the state come in and they're just shocked by it. Yeah. I mean, some in their areas, they're seeing a decline of interest or whatever mm-hmm. it may be.
0: And it's just growing
1: here. It's growing, yeah. yeah. And it's it's exciting. I mean, the fact that in our area we have a major Irish festival, we have an <clears throat> Irish music school, we have a lot of players that are playing, a lot of pubs that are paying. I mean, so there's... Uh, a lot of going, lot going on in our community. But it, you can say the same for other areas of Texas. I mean, there's some growth going, and sure. people are learning it and getting excited about it.
0: Well, one cool thing is you guys are getting kids involved in it so well, mm-hmm. and th- they're becoming just. There's so many kids here that are just really becoming dynamite players and Isn't starting that fun to see. Yeah, I mean, really is. starting their own bands, yeah. and, and it's like it's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so it's been really inspiring for me to see what you guys have done here. And, and not just it's for all ages, like you said, but there's so many kids that are that are coming up and like really getting into it.
1: Yeah. And they're going to become older and wiser and better. And yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, I will find a pub somewhere if it's in Texas. I'm sure there'll be a lot of players to play at it. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, do you have any favorite moments from the retreat?
1: Oh, there's so many of them. Yeah. I mean, every single year I find something to enjoy. Um, you know, there, I guess meeting some of the the players I've always admired most, you know, that I think that's been one of my greatest joys. I have a thing that we do at the retreat called Trad Talk where we sit down with, we, we identify somebody as being the Irish artist's achievement, was it now? The achievement. Uh, Lifetime Achievement Award or something yes, like that? Yes, it's kind of like an achievement award yeah. in Irish music and... And as part of that trad talk, we, I interview basically uh, that person. And so looking back at all the players that I've, or you know, musicians that I've done that with, that's just been probably I enjoy that most because it's, one, getting to know something about these great players and also our students learning, which is, I think it's so important that you, you learn the context for why that player is great. Well, there's yeah. a journey there that they've had. And understanding that journey is always interesting to me. How yeah. they got to be where they were. Sometimes they had no parental involvement, no support. They did it on their own. Yeah. Sometimes have a rich history. I mean, yeah. like James Kelly, for example. I mean, he just tremendous history. And then we like last year we had Seamus Connolly. I mean, he oh. was the very first uh, instructor at the O'Flaherty's, very first one. And to have him back fifteen years later, mm-hmm. what an amazing person he is! What yeah. a treasure! What a contribution he's made to Irish music, not only in in general but in america yeah and so i think those are my special moments is is actually interviewing the people that i've admired
0: so greatly in, yeah. in the years well i would say that that's my favorite thing about about the camp mm. because that's what interests me the most and i and so from my perspective that's what makes the o'flaherty retreat so great mm. uh, because it's not just instrument classes and mm. sessions We get to hear people tell their stories Mm -hmm. and unique perspectives, and that's a a workshop on its own. Oh, definitely! They have
1: a journey to talk about. Yeah, you have all
0: these enrichment classes that that I think it just it's what makes this camp so special. Mm -hmm. So, um, how has doing this project changed you? Doing the project in Uh, terms of the retreat retreat and all that.
1: Well, gosh. I think I get a lot of satisfaction, um, from getting a group of people together with this shared passion and producing something. I mean, that's always been something I've enjoyed doing. I've always liked to organize things. So when you constantly are looking at it, when you finish one, we'd get our surveys. How do we fix it? How do we improve it? How we make it better? Um, that excites me. I mean, I'm always ready to go for the next one. Um. I think with the group of people that I surround myself with, I mean, they are just great, devoted volunteers. They all have a strong interest in Irish music. Um, it's just fun doing something together with them yeah. and, and being successful at it. So I, I think I get a lot of satisfaction by the fact that we put a lot of energy into it, a lot of care into it. Yeah. But it's a, a group of people that are doing it. I don't want anybody to think for one moment that this is something I do alone. I don't. Mm-hmm. I depend on a lot of great people to be able to put it on, Uh, but it's just that working together for something, a common goal, and then being successful at it is very satisfying. So I guess I continue to do it mainly uh, as a means of, hey, this is something that uh, is, is important for all of us. We want to see it done well for our students, for our staff, for the instructors, and when we do, we get a lot of satisfaction from it. It inspires us to continue to do it and continue to try to do it better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are the, I want to ask you a question about building teams because as a serial entrepreneur like you are, mm. building um, nonprofit organizations and for-profit ones um, and having many successes and failures over the years, mm. what are the keys to building a good team?
1: Well, it's it's a shared passion. I mean, that starts there. You know, you need to have people who share your vision. Yeah. And I think it's also about service. I mean, it ultimately gets down to that. I mean, what we do in terms of the retreat or any company generally is that you're trying to provide a service. So you have to have that kind of servant's heart. I guess it'd be, it'd be more of a customer. How can you serve the customer better kind of mm-hmm. thing? And then we look at that very hard. And I think we try to differentiate ourselves from others by focusing a lot on that. You know, how can we make their experience something of value, something that they really do want and will continue to do. Um, in both my businesses and the nonprofits I've been part of, that's been a focus at all times is, you know, how can we make this an experience that they're going to appreciate and uh, and continue to want going forward? And so yeah. I think that's part of it. So, I, again, assembling that team that has a shared vision and passion uh, but then also has that service side to them that mm-hmm. they want to serve, mm-hmm. that seems to be the a good ingredients. Yeah.
0: Great. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to share a personal struggle or obstacle that you've overcome?
1: Uh. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess. But I when I think back on my life in terms of how I lived it and what I would uh, do differently, I mean, I think there was a this idea of trying to find yourself and what you want in life, and mm-hmm. you know, I I've often told people, <clears throat> if you think you're going to know what you're going to do in life by going to college right out of high school. I just don't think that sometimes is the answer I mean I think life experience kind of changes you you evolve and totally um, so i I would say that what has shaped me more than anything else is a lot of the failures I went through in life mm-hmm. and the question is do you let those beat you down or do you learn from them and kind of move ahead so i've I've had failures in businesses and failures in personal life and everything else and um, I think there's a lot of times where I saw it Answers in the wrong places, and um, but what I've found, and this is nothing surprising, um, I have found faith. That's important to me. Family's important to me, and friends. Kind of the three Fs. Um, those three things are what sustain me. And so I think my my life struggles. Um, it seems like they're in a distant past now. Mm-hmm because of those three things now that kind of keep
0: me grounded. Yeah. It seems like what you do with failure is really the kind of the defining moment, would you say? Because you can choose, to, I mean, you have a choice when there's, fa- and I say failure with uh, in quotations, because you have a choice to let it bring you down and, and stay where you're at or to use it as a means for growth and moving forward. Yeah,
1: I, I think it hardens you. And that's important because you know you're always going to have struggles in life, right? Uh, so when you've learned from th- from them, you also know that they're not going to be long lasting. At times, they're going to be short lived, and you'll move on. So no need to dwell and get too deep into the uh, the sorrowness of it. You just continue to move forward. Just learn from it. it. Yeah, learn from it.
0: <laughs> How has being a father and a husband changed your outlook and oh, on everything. life? It's everything. It's yeah. everything.
1: Gosh. Um, you know this. You're a dad. There's something real special about kids. Um, when you're particularly a selfish person, as I've been most of my life, and all of a sudden you have kids that you have to be <clears throat> focused on. It's, it's a no big longer change, an option. Yeah. You know? And my wife Peggy is an amazing woman. I mean, I've, we've been happily married for decades now, many decades, and um, I think we count our one of our greatest joys is, you know, our son and our daughter. I mean, those. It's it's a special relationship that we have with them. It's um, one that I treasure a lot. I, it's also kind of special because they're both into Irish music now, and we're playing Irish music together, and that's just so pleasing. As as they were growing up, they got exposed to so much of it. They had to attend every festival we were at, every gig almost we were at. Yeah. they have been listening since they have been in the womb. I mean, we, we'd sing to them while they were. Mm. Um, but we never pressured them. We never wanted to be the, the kind of parents that said, this is what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. and mm-hmm. And we all hoped this would happen where they would, on their own, just gravitate towards it in time. And they have, and they're doing it so well because they've listened to it for all their lives. And now they're able to play it, and they're doing it with a lot of energy and passion themselves. And you can't ask for anything better than that. That's just yeah. special. So
0: there's, there's still hope. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> there is. Just be patient. I, I'm the same because I don't pressure, pressure my kids to do what I do, you know. Yeah. But I, it would be so fun if we could play music together. You know? it, is, it is
1: one of the most joyful things I do these days is when I sit down with my kids. And, but we, every Thursday, normally, we get together for dinner and, and tunes. So we learn new tunes together and uh, play together. Um, we don't really have a band, but we are uh, getting together on occasion as a group and playing, and that's that's a lot of fun
0: for us. Yeah, great. So you've put so much time and energy into growing an organization that helps people to develop as musicians. Why is that important to you?
1: Well, I kind of believe that's how the tradition works. You have to invest in others. Um, you know, when you sit down with a, a group of musicians, it's it's a it's a very unique experience, highly social. But there's that, it's a shared experience, and and that's that makes it different than a lot of other experiences you may have in your life. Because uh, you can sit down with complete strangers and, and, and you have that connection. So to me, that's part of it. It's part of that um, the music is worthy of, of of honoring it by by learning it right and playing it right and playing with others as part of the tradition. But you want to keep the tradition going. I mean, the, the sad thing, one of the reasons we formed the Southwest Celtic Music Association <clears throat> all those years ago was that you, you, traditional music can die if you don't invest in it it's not like other forms of music where you know you rock and jazz and stuff they have professional venues for that and people continue to buy it and but traditional music suffers a lot so we felt it was important to really continue to find ways to keep it going even in our area even though we're not ireland uh just keeping irish music going in this area was important for us because we've again because of that 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 community it's a wonderful community and keeping that community alive requires you to invest time and energy to keep it going.
0: Yeah. Well, your other business, Group Dynamics, is focused on helping people develop as teams mm-hmm. as well. So in a way, there's a, there's a correlation. Like you're, you're, you put a lot of your energy into, you know, helping people with personal development, team mm-hmm. development, mm-hmm. whatever it is, uh, musical growth. Mm-hmm. Why is that a passion for you?
1: Uh, because I think people need to grow. They can't be stagnant. They can't stay still. So, um, I'm, I'm of the belief that the way you find joy in life is continued to find improvement. Whether you're improving in your job, or improving in your faith, or improving in your music, or whatever it may be. So, kind of self improvement is a is an important ingredient, and it kind of I guess blends in my what I do for my company as well as what I do for the music. I mean, I'm trying to uh, get people to better themselves through music. Yeah. I mean I, it and it, it, it does it. I mean it, it's not something that um you have to do in a group or you have to do with a teacher um but having some pursuit that is allows you to find joy is a great thing and music for me is one of those things.
0: Yeah. How would you define good musicianship?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I come at it with so many different approaches. I mean, on one hand, you have the tremendous abilities of a musician um like a Kevin Crawford, for example. I mean, he's one of a kind, yeah. and you know, you just look at him and you just are amazed. Yeah. But then I I, I see a seventy five year old woman who's learning fiddle for the first time, and I see how much joy she gets out of it. Mm. And so for her, her musicianship is satisfactory. It's it's it allows her to continue to grow and have fun with it. So, I guess from one perspective, you can point out folks that are just excellent in what they do, and they have great skills and abilities but let's be realistic. I mean, most of us are not going to get there. That's not. That shouldn't be the goal. Uh, the goal is to be able to enjoy what you do have and can play. And, and so I, I stress a lot of times, don't be concerned that you can't play at their level. I mean, they took a lot of years to develop it, even some at very early ages, and they've invested a lot of time and they do it regularly, often, most of us have regular jobs. You know, we have families. You don't have a lot of time to sit down and learn inst- your instrument or music. So, to me, your great musicianship really has more to do with your attitude about it. If you're, you know, if you're comfortable in where you're playing at right now, if you allow yourself to be comfortable where you're playing at now, um, that's a success
0: in my book. Hmm. Have you had any moments that have been kind of a uh, maybe a paradigm shift or a turning point for you that have? led to you growing as a musician or as a um as the owner of a company or just mm-hmm. in your life in general however you want to answer that
1: yeah i i do this is this gets into a personal story which is more about my partner at group dynamics who had a serious uh, in, injury bicycling injury 7 years ago and uh, became a quadriplegic and i i think what was a turning point for me first of all having my partner basically put in a life-death situation, life or death, which forced me to have to step forward and, and kind of take over a, a role that I wasn't uh, particularly suited or comfortable with in many respects. But to see him and what he went through to be able to survive and thrive, I mean, he, he is probably one of the most inspirational people I know. He has all these adversities, the burdens, all the things related to being in the situation he's in, and yet... He is the most joyful person I know. I mean, he exhibits joy in almost everything he does and how he talks and how he interacts. And yet everybody has to depend. I mean, he's dependent on everybody else to take care of him, basically. But instead of that being a burden for him and his soul, it's, he's more, how can I help others feel better about themselves? So he, he diffuses. It's interesting. You see people meet him. He diffuses any kind of awkwardness and just so quickly. Yeah. Uh, because of who he is. I mean, he just has that servant's heart about him and everything else. So I, I guess I point to that, and when that happened, it kind of transformed some of my thinking about, you know, where should I be thinking in terms of my future? Do I want to worry, be stressed, or do I try to find joy in it? And it gets kind of back into the music, I think, in some ways, that's how I do it for me personally. It's the music that allows me to find so much joy. I have a lot of joy in my work. I really do. I love my company, but it's that music part that kind of makes my day special. You know, when I can can spend time playing music or play music with others, particularly, I really enjoy that. And so to me, I think that was a turning point where it may, became much more about um, you know life can throw some bad things at you. You know, and So how are you going to take it? Are you going to focus on what's wrong with the world? Are you going to kind of get your mind thinking, okay, how can I enjoy my remaining years on this earth?
0: Yes. It kind of reminds me of a conversation we were having a little while ago. How do you define success?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people can see that as more of a money thing where <clears throat> I've been able to acquire a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but, but for me it's, the, it's the, how much joy do you have in your life? Yeah. That really defines success for me is, and you can see people when they have it. You can see the successful ones. And sometimes they don't have any money. <clears throat> they can be just downtrodden yeah. as can be, and yet they find joy. joy. Yeah. yeah, and they can still exhibit that joy in life, which, uh, to me, I. And by the way, I, I'm not saying I do it. I, I I still find myself falling into those old routines of, sure. you know, politics and anger and all the other stuff associated with division in this country, but. Um, when you sit down and play music, it just goes away. Just it just melts dis- away, it disappears, and you know you can be sitting across with people that you probably would not be able to live with, <laughs> but somehow or another when you play Irish music together, there's that 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 community feel yeah. to it. You feel you're part of a, a, a club that's just
0: international, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you seem exceptionally healthy to me. Mm-hmm. How do you stay healthy? I, I fooled you, well, huh? Yeah. What are, What are the secrets?
1: <laughs> the secrets? Yeah. I uh, drink a half a bottle of scotch every night. <laughs> is that all I have to do? That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. No, I I th- I think um, I have to claim that my wife takes care of me in terms of some of the things she feeds me, which is great. She, she doesn't. Because left to your own devices. Yes, I would be eating badly. I'm sure.
0: By the way, where can I get a good vegetarian meal in this town? Uh, what's the best spot? What's
1: that, what's that place that? Uh, Kalachankis, or Kalachankis? <laughs> Let's go right
0: after this. Not
1: going to happen. Not gonna happen. <laughs> All right, so you can tell I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian. Uh, no, I th- I think uh, about a year and a half. I mean, I'm getting up there in years, and I, I was starting to feel some physical pains and things I hadn't been uh, f- that weren't familiar to me. And then I started realizing part of it, a lot of it had to do with just my when you work all day in a, in a, in a chair in front of a computer, you, yeah. you start feeling it. So I I pledged to change how I was going to take care of myself and so I started a regimen of physical activities and meditations and things like that to kind of help me deal with the day to day and mm. and it's been helpful. Been very helpful. I'm
0: what do you do in particular?
1: Uh well I I try to work out six days a week, which doesn't really doesn't it isn't that bad as it sounds. Um I start with um treadmill, about fifteen minutes of treadmill and about thirty minutes of weights and then about 15 minutes of yoga, 20 minutes of meditation. That's that's kind of a routine I've been doing for a, some time now. And that really does help. That has been um, probably one of the biggest changes in my life, actually, in terms of just feeling wow. fit or feeling better.
0: You do it first thing in the morning? or I do.
1: Yeah. 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 I, fortunately, when you own a company, you can set what time to come in. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I'm not an early riser. I've never been an early riser. I mean, that's I'm, I have musician's blood, right, I stay up late. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so I, I, in the morning, I, I'm able to get up at a reasonable time and show up at work later than the rest of my employees, but then I work later to compensate for it. But that has been very important to me.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, I just have one last question for you. Sure you have this really strong entrepreneurial spirit having started so many companies and, and, uh, what advice would you give someone who wants to go their own way and start their own thing? And maybe they're facing the fear and the uncertainty of doing that.
1: Yeah. Get, get with somebody who's been there. I mean, I think one of the things that's been a value to me, I had people that I was able to consult with and ask them how they got, what a lot of times you ask them, what, what do you try to avoid? Um, you're going to have a good idea. You're going to have passion to do it. Don't try to do it on your own. Hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people think that that's what an entrepreneur does. Good ones don't do that. Good ones go learn from others who have been successful. So I would say, reach out to people who uh, have been successful in their, their business life and ask them the hard questions. And you'll, you'll probably find that many of them have failed more than once. Yeah. Uh,
0: never stop probably all of them
1: (laughs) yeah probably all in fact you you, even when you have some failure don't let it get down just keep working hard at it i mean it's if it's a good idea it'll eventually get there i'll let you know group dynamics for the first 10 years we didn't make money truly yeah Yeah. that was a bad business call on my part but we loved the business so much we kept pouring money into it thinking that sooner or later it's gonna uh, come into being and it did thankfully but it's one of those things. You, you and a lot of people can't wait ten years not to make money. I had other businesses, thankfully. Yeah. But it's one of those things. Sometimes good ideas take a while to really develop. So don't discard it. Just every time you have a run into a, a wall, yeah, uh, keep working it.
0: So you have to have the passion to keep you going.
1: Got to have the passion, and you'll find out if you start going through hard times and all of a sudden you don't have that in you. Yeah. It'll be obvious. But if you really believe in what you're doing, give it time. Sometimes you just don't have that knowledge to make it work. And that gets back to this, go go find people who are, are successful. They'll tell you how to get around some of those obstacles.
0: Yeah. So I guess as a musician, uh, if you wanted to pursue that or something related to me, you've done something that's, uh, you've been a professional musician and you've also created an organization that's, that centers around uh, uh, musicianship, helping people to develop as musicians. So I guess in, in that even taking that path maybe go talk to other people that have done it before other professional musicians or other people that have started mm-hmm. something related to music like you did
1: yeah i think people don't realize how giving people can be yeah <clears throat> all you have to do is ask and you'd be surprised at how many people will devote time energy resources to help you um so even as a musician i mean i've i've often told people this in fact i i do something as a rule i give two free hours of lessons to anybody that asks mm. I don't want to teach them beyond that. I don't have the time. But I want to give them a head start, <clears throat> get them in a, di- a direction. Yeah, And that's that's something I, I, I think a lot of people are willing to do. They're willing to give you time. Sure. All you have to do is just
0: ask. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Ken. This yeah, has thanks. been fantastic. Okay, Great. Thanks a bunch. All right, John. See you. Cheers. Hey, friends. A final word. If you enjoyed this conversation or you learned anything from it, Please hit subscribe and leave us a comment. Subscribing is the easiest and best way you can help keep this show going. I've got so many great guests in mind, but I need your help, friends, to get them on this show. As I said, subscribing via whatever platform you use is super easy and quick, and once you do it, you'll never miss an episode. You can also support this show at paypal.me MiltonMusic, That's M-I-L-T-O-N-M-U-S-I-C, paypal.me slash Milton Music, where you can contribute any amount, and we're grateful for any and all support. Finally, you can support us at patreon.com slash Milton Music. Patreon is a platform we've just started using, and once we get a feel for it, we'll be posting more content there. So check that out. For all you social butterflies, follow us on Instagram at music.people.podcast and at jonathan.milton.music. You can find us on Facebook at music.people.podcast and at jonathanmiltonmusic. Thank you all for being part of this community. And as always, thank you for your support. Talk to you soon.